everybody. Welcome to the Sanctus Forum. I am Michael Stewart Rob, better known as Mike, and I am doing the conspiracy commentaries here. And this is one of those longer conspiracy conversations in which we have a guest, and the guest I'm very excited to uh, announce is Jane Willard, and I'll introduce her in a second. But just so you know, um, these are longer. There's an audio podcast, which you can just turn on while you're doing something else and you don't have to look at my face while you, while you listen to the conversation. Um, the Sanctus Institute, which sponsors the Sanctus Forum, is an institute for theology and spirituality in Europe. And we really do want to try to reach out and find Europeans who are interested in these sorts of things. Um, so if you're one of those people, um, go ahead and over to our website, sanctus.institute, and you can sign up for an almost monthly newsletter, or you can get in touch with us uh, over email, info at sanctus.institute. Um, but go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're on there, or to the podcast um, if you're listening. <laughs> Today, we are talking about a section in the um, Divine Conspiracy called In the Midst of Many Kingdoms. It's at the end of the first chapter, and my guest today is uh, Jane Willard. Now, Jane Willard is um, Dallas Willard's wife, and she um, lived with him for 57 years, I think is... The right answer she'll correct me in a moment if I'm wrong and um, she is a special person for this book because she um, well she shows up in the acknowledgments and um, I'll actually read here what 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 Dallas writes about her um, he says but without Jane the writing would for many reasons never have been actually done her loving patience insistence and assistance have been as always both incomparable and indispensable this is her book so we have her with us and um jane um welcome thanks for being with us good morning mike glad to be with you how uh how are things there in southern california these weeks we are having our very first cool weather. Okay. We're supposed to go back up in the almost to 90 again soon, but. <laughs> yes, we're, dropped out to 80 for a while. We're bringing fall into Southern California today, so. Okay. Well, um, uh, I'm very excited to get you to talk with me about this book for uh, a little while. Um, I didn't say in the, um, as I was introducing you, that um, you, you've, done, you've done more in life than just make Dallas write this book. You were a marriage and uh, family counselor for many years, 30, 40 years, is that mm -hmm. something around there? Yeah. yeah. 
and so you've you've stepped down now from the official uh, practice and you're doing spiritual direction now for a number of for, people. Yes, for uh, 10 or 15 years on the spiritual direction. Yeah, yeah. And you've been an elder at uh, a vineyard church, is that right? Well, they don't have elders per se okay. in the vineyard movement, but they have boards and I've been on the board for um, okay. about a decade or so, yes. Okay. I should know I should know that about elders because I attend a vineyard church here in Phoenix, so <laughs> I should be a little bit more more familiar. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm actually a Presbyterian, so I, I think in terms of elders, I'm sorry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um I'm very excited to to do this with you and um we were kind of discussing what we were going to talk about um i said i just wanted to yeah hear again um just some of how this book came about like what's what sort of insistence what's what's behind that word or assistance what's what's going on there uh, the series that was the, the most uh, complete and intense was one that Dallas Dillard did at Hollywood Presbyterian Church here in the LA area uh, for about eight weeks and they were recorded but uh, when when I would go with Dallas for his teaching I like to sit in the back of the room so that I could watch the effect that what he said mm -hmm. was having on the people there and uh, if they were soaking it up and and um, the expressions on their faces. Uh, so I was at the back of the room while he was talking with people after the class at the front. And as they came out, they would ask me, is this written any place? And so hmm. um, I said no. And then I would continually bring this up to Dallas and he never could get around to it. So he agreed maybe it should be done. and. So um, one day I approached him and said, uh, well, I have this set of tapes now, and if you don't write the book, I'm going to. And he, he joked then that that got him going because he didn't want to live with an author. So, uh, <laughs> so that was the first bit of insistence. And then uh, Richard Foster used to uh, come to Azusa Pacific uh, university for uh, an intensive class every three months or so. Mm -hmm. And when he was coming to town, he would tell us that he was coming over on Sunday afternoon. So we would have dinner and then he would go through Dallas's schedule to mark off writing days okay. for him. Um, so that was another way of insistence. And then if Dallas started to cheat on any of this. Richard had his uh, secretary cancel some speaking engagements that Dallas had already taken. Hmm. Dallas admittedly was just no good at um, um, deciding what to do and what not to do. He could not say no to anything. And if the speaking came, then what he had committed himself to do was not important. You know, he would 
go and answer the call to speak. So yeah, it was a real, real battle to do that. I, I found actually while we're talking about that a, a thing last night, if I can put my hands on it again, which I seen oh, here it is. Um, this was a note that in uh, 1989, when he was trying to write, and he mm -hmm. had had something else going then, and then do this, but uh, he's he's got a I don't know if this can be seen, but uh, he put this up by his desk. Do not take any engagements or assignments until you have compared your calendar and talked with Jane. Never agree to anything on the spot. Say, I have a policy. I can't trust myself. My wife will be forced to leave me. <laughs> and it goes on. Wow, wow. He, he had a script. He had a script that he would tell well, people. Well, yes. Little good that it did, but he kept trying every, yeah. every now and then. Yeah. And uh, then there was an, another one here that he had asked me to make for him. He said on his way out the door to USC after losing many days to travel to meet people on campus and elsewhere. And he said, what I've got to do is I've got to stop accommodating myself to other people. Will you write that on the wall somewhere? And so I, I wrote what he said and, and uh, hung it up above the microwave where he might come to warm something, his coffee or something, and so rubbing his nose in it, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But we joked about my keeping him chained to the desk, so I, I yeah. was very insistent about yeah. his writing. Yeah, well, it still took a long time. Uh, he that Hollywood Presbyterian message uh, messages were in 1990. And then in 1991 or so, I that's when I saw the first proposal that he had sent to the publisher. And then that those acknowledgments that I read out from, he wrote those at the end of 1997. So that's six years of working on a book. Um, well, it's a big book. While teaching full-time and speaking many weekends out of the month and sometimes during the week if it were local. Yeah. And he, he and Richard would battle this out, you know, to remind him that it's not just the time that it takes to speak. You've got to travel there and travel back and counsel the people while you're there. And then they're going to get in touch with you afterwards. So... Dallas never seemed to be able to hold all of that in his mind when he thought about, well, yes, I'll just go there and speak. So. Yeah, he really liked the he really liked the speaking, didn't he? I mean, that was yes, he did. And I think there's there's I know for myself, um, this person who spends a lot of time writing, there's a lot of a lot of faith in writing because you don't know what you're working on you don't know what's going to happen to that it may be years before it actually even anybody sees it mm -hmm. and then who knows what's going to happen then so writing does take quite a bit of 
and speaking, you're right there in the middle of people. Yes. You, you, you know immediately what, what they have heard after you finish. Yeah. But he had a way with the writing of knowing ahead of time. So um, he would send out pages or chapters to mm -hmm. different ones. Yeah. And and get ask, ask their ask them to give him their opinions of it. Yeah. To Richard and to Trevor probably and to several other people. Yeah. 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 You you got some pages the of the first chapter, didn't you? What did you think of those? <laughs> well, he sent me he 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 brought me the first draft of the the first time he had written anything, and I was <laughs> I was very honest and uh, unkind, I suppose. I said it smells like it, it reads like a musty old Christmas card because he he was accustomed to reading all of the people that he liked from another century you know or so and and so it was just dodgy and yeah if, if anybody thinks it's difficult to read now they should have seen that <laughs> the first chapter but he he said somewhere that he rewrote that chapter 20 times yeah yeah and i I've, I've seen at least seven versions of it um oh, really? okay. yeah 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 i remember when i was visiting your house once uh i was i found the the divine conspiracy box and and it had you know different first chapters um so we do it did get better yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and, and i had had mentioned um uh, in reviewing chapter one, I got out his audio that that he had recorded for Harper. Yeah. Uh, that um, they gave him uh, two or three hours to do the whole book, so it had to be abridged, which was very difficult for him. But out of the uh, four. Um, what what would it be? Not sixty, but what's the next one? Ninety minutes. Uh, yeah, ninety minute cassettes. Yeah. Yeah, ninety minute cassettes. He used one of those ninety minute cassettes on the first chapter. Yeah. That's yeah. how important he thought that was to yeah. the rest of it. So. Yeah, yeah. And I can see. I mean, I've been doing these commentary videos here, every section by section, and I've I know this material so well and I can see the layers I feel like an Old Testament scholar like you know okay there's the that's where this is coming from and that's where this is coming from but um, even the the very beginning which is rather difficult for people some people when he's talking more about sort of the situation in society and in a sense why this book is important that strikes me as something that came in rather late to to this book and wasn't there at the very beginning. Do you remember anything about that or? No. Okay. I, I think he didn't show me any of the interim. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you. The interim ones and so I got in on the, the final one. Okay, okay.
musty old Christmas card was a bit too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm excited about this, this section here. Um, and I think you might be really one of the very best people that I could talk about these last few pages in the first chapter to. Um, because a lot of it is about working with God to accomplish good and and especially this first section here about becoming bearers of God's rule at hand so this he had this idea that the kingdom of God wasn't just something that was associated only with God only with Jesus but that regular people would become kind of like beacons uh, for the kingdom of God and be um, have a th authority and power to to work with God in unique ways and and that reminds me of a a prayer group that Dallas talked about um, he had this so when he would teach on the parable of the talents he, this is the parable where the man is going to go away and he gives 10 talents to one and five to another and one to a final person and just to look after them talents is money if you don't speak bible speak and and so he goes away and he comes back and um, looks at what they've done and they've increased some of them have increased what they've done and then the the man says well you know you've been faithful with in a little um, you'll be put in charge of a lot and the first person is put in charge of ten cities right and Dallas Willard uh, says that um, the something very similar to to that will happen to us in the afterlife um, that God will put us in charge of things based on our character and how we've grown to this point and then to just make sure people weren't didn't get too worried he would say that he didn't expect to have ten cities he he thought he would be lucky if he had one all right and then he said there's a little group of little old ladies who prayed for me and i'm sure they're gonna have 10. now jane could you tell us a little bit about these little old ladies that he's talking about well there was nothing like that and i certainly wouldn't agree with his assessment okay are uh, getting the 10 cities, but uh, just um, anywhere I could, uh, since we've been here in Chatsworth, and, uh, and that's been uh, oh, so many years now, um, I would have a prayer, small prayer group someplace, or be a part of one somewhere else, but, um, mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that we always prayed about was Dallas's ministry when he was mm -hmm. Largely, our focus was just on keeping Dallas alive. Hmm. Uh, 
with with all of that because he was working to exhaustion and so uh, our our prayers would be for him and and for the work and for the people where he was going but uh, we met every week and usually there was a meeting coming up and we would pray for that and for Dallas yeah, yeah. Did, did you see anything powerful happen through those prayer meetings for Dallas well, the, the 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 most visible one was once when we were just very concerned about the speed that he was going out and uh, taking on things and doing things, and uh, so we were praying for the Lord to slow him down. And one one of the women even used the metaphor of the train, you know, just slow this train down. And we, Dallas and I both, were going to my hometown in Georgia for a meeting of several nights and the weekend that that following weekend and something developed in Dallas's hip where he could hardly walk so we were supposed to stay with my family there while he was teaching um, but I stayed with my family and Dallas asked that he could have a private room um, near the church, so so he stayed there because he couldn't walk any farther. You know, so um, that we we learned not to do that, <laughs> <laughs> and we we had no idea of the effectiveness. Dallas didn't know that, so he wasn't referring to the effectiveness of our prayers by knowing that we we never yeah. confessed that his hip yeah. was our fault you know so yeah 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 <laughs> well i mean i wonder what his what positively um he he he's clearly thinking something really helpful happened for him through your prayer ministry and uh well and i think he was aware of other ministers who had talked about the people that prayed for them hmm. and he was he was not wanting to take all of the responsibility so he was uh, i mean uh, all of the credit so he was putting that somewhere else you know we just happened to be there so yeah 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 um but there are a lot of there are a lot of speakers and ministers who have little old women praying for them, and their effectiveness is not like Dallas's. So, yeah, I'll put it back there where it belongs. <laughs> yeah, maybe. and realizing that ultimately, you know, it is God who is doing this. So, yeah, um, Dallas's mother prayed for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. A lot goes there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Dallas's mother, um, who lived in southern Missouri, Missouri Ozarks, um, you lived for a, a brief time in Missouri, did you not, with Dallas? Mm -hmm. And... Dallas talks in uh, in this section here about a little bit about Missouri and the time not having electricity 
and then electricity became available to uh, his family and to his neighbors. That would only have been a few a few years before you had shown up there. Um, do you remember electricity in southern southern Missouri? We had electricity. We did not have running water. Okay. Running water was not at hand. Uh, That's right. So our our little parsonage, uh, which was a house we rented, I think, for $15 a month oh in, in those days. <laughs> what, it would have been in the, in the 50s, yeah. early 50s or something, late 50s. Um, but we had a pump and a bucket. And yeah. we had an outhouse. An outhouse. Yes, indeed. And and I was pregnant, and so our first child was born. Well, just two weeks before we left there and headed out for Baylor. But yeah, yeah. He was pastoring a church there. Right, right. He was pastoring a church. Yeah, but so electricity had just started, um, or. You know, they had, he's, Dallas says they just, they, you, you would use uh, kerosene um, lamps before and, right. and. I grew, uh, up, grew up that way too. Oh, did you? Okay. Okay. And radios with batteries and. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, how did that change your life when you finally lived in a place with electricity? Well, I didn't uh, think of and analyze things the way Dallas did, so yeah, it, it was just very, very nice to have. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we we could relate the running water to uh, the the kingdom of God in some way. Teresa of Avila talked about the difference in receiving the water of life. Mm -hmm. uh, a gift from God, or she was terming it consolation at the time, but it could be from uh, something that we did deliberately to bring it to ourselves, like building an aqueduct. It was yeah. her illustration. Yeah. This is this is something we did to enable us to to bring the water to ourselves, mm -hmm. but that there are ways when it just springs up. Just springs up, yeah. It comes out of a natural spring and you don't do anything to get it. It's just there. And uh, yeah. God operates in both ways. And I think probably in Dallas's description of, and, and my uh, pump and bucket and dipper and all of those things, you know, would relate to that. I, I hadn't, I've used, um, Teresa Vavilov's examples many times, but I mm. never had thought about my <laughs> my not having running water as an example too. So yeah, yeah, I've had an aha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's use that um, because I wanted to hear a little bit about how you became aware of the kingdom of God in, in your life. Um, see, for a lot of people, I might be included in that, 
guess so. Um, Dallas was one of the first people who came around to talk about the kingdom of God. And so you start to sort of think about what he's teaching, and then you start to look in your own experience. But um, for somebody who is living with Dallas, um, he's preaching in the churches or teaching or something. How, how was your journey towards understanding and seeing the kingdom of God? Well, as far as it being here and now, um, that happened very early in, in my church when, when I was a teenager and okay. memorizing, being a part of a Bible memory association program and memorizing scripture each year and then going to a camp. And so um, what, what the kingdom was in the sense of God changing our lives now uh, it, it never was just making making a profession and then that's it things were to begin to change and you were to do what Jesus said but um, and then when we got to college we didn't we still didn't hear teaching on the kingdom but uh, by that time in the good news clubs that we taught about and using graph, which was a, a very important thing for Dallas growing up. I think that's how he became aware of, of Jesus, was through graph. he will tell mm -hmm. you. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I also had an object lesson, and, and Dallas and I both would go into uh, the deprived neighborhoods on Sunday afternoons as students. These were some of our student activities, and, and do good news clubs. And we would take a flannel graph board and teach a gospel story, or we would um, have object relations. And one of my object relations was the story of a little girl, and we had pictures of um, two thrones. Or, well, actually, it was one throne, and then we could put the girl on the throne or mm -hmm. put Jesus on the throne. Mm -hmm. So. Um, we didn't talk about the kingdom so much as it was who was on the throne at that mm. time. Yeah. Uh, and then after we married, we we had access to other preachers that would be teaching on after we were able to get cassette tapes. You know, it's it's so funny looking back. We didn't even have cassette tapes when we were in college. Those those. Uh, flat things with, with if you had a set like that which his brother did you could record things but I certainly couldn't have recorded it and played it and and had access to it all the time so I thought cassette things were just the most marvelous things in the world but, um, put me back on track <laughs> Mike I took one rabbit trail too many <laughs> yeah well you were talking about the good news club and uh and oh, yes. the, and the, the thrones. Yeah. yeah. So, and then we heard other preachers on those cassette tapes and um, learned about it then, but I, I had not, um, so I was living it, but I didn't have the concept of it until mm -hmm. that was teaching. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, whenever it was that he started teaching that and mentioning it. And, yeah, yeah. 
Well, his he, he was just so good at, at illustrating something and putting those metaphors together. And, and the, everybody knows that he didn't use very many illustrations from his own life or from yeah. current things. So they were very rare. Yeah. But his metaphors, the things that he could connect that way, were so rich and uh, yeah, and uh, just uh, like somebody has a gift for poetry or for something else, you know, or for music, and he mm -hmm. was very gifted. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there's two directions I wanna. I'd like to go there, and I have to decide which one I'm gonna take. I'll I'll go. I'll go this direction because I think this would be interesting. Um, you mentioned gifting, and um, we also mentioned the Vineyard uh, Church, and Vineyard churches are very interested in spiritual gifts. And um, what was your sense of sort of spiritual gift or gifts that Dallas was really blessed with? Something stand out? I hadn't even thought of it in those terms before, but he was obviously a teacher. Mm hmm Okay. And 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 certainly preaching. Um, I don't think writing was a gift for him. He worked at it very hard and didn't. Sometimes he would be so excited about something that he had been searching for and it come through so he his um, office his his study was in the back of the house and so he would come through the door and go like this you know some something good had just just jailed and come into focus for him so he would come through and be so excited about it but most of the time just to get yourself in the chair and to sit there until you got it yeah so, so I, th I think it's maybe as important to what he did without special gifting, yeah, as, as what he did with it. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I would almost go in in focusing on the other direction. You know, the the, the things that were difficult to do, he did. He did. And recommended that he one of one of the. Uh, quotes and teachings that he passed around to all of his classes was from William James about every day doing something that's difficult. You, do, do, are you familiar with that one? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I'm not familiar of it coming from William James, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, but um, it's something very similar in the spirit of the disciplines from I think it's the baseball player Kirby Puckett, but I might be wrong, who credited the you know, the reason for his success as practicing what he's bad at. Hmm. Um, now, I might have the wrong baseball player there, but that's that sort of idea is there in the spirit of the disciplines. Yes. And do you have the divine conspiracy before you? Yeah. No? Uh, just right across at the beginning, before the uh, title page, yeah, uh, the opposite page has a quote from C.S. Lewis. Right. And the bottom of that, uh, read read the last paragraph about uh, our our work is never more in danger. 
There it is. Yes. Um, he cannot tempt. He cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He, I mean, that is God, wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and, asked, and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. So, so doing the thing when it's hard to do and you don't see God in it with you, but you yeah. are yeah. counting on that anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. Was there um, something for you that was important for you to do, even though it was difficult or didn't make a lot of sense and that by doing it really helped you? Oh, too numerous to mention, I guess. But uh, okay, that that obviously is um, necessary in marriages. But but when when you're not seeing what you had hoped to see uh, at different times, but um, C.S. Lewis also talks about the law of undulation. You know, when when things are going well, and then there's going to be a valley, and there's going to be a peak, and Mm -hmm. uh, but yes. I I have uh, printed that out from Dallas's from the Divine Conspiracy and reference that Dallas chose that you know and I use that with directees all the time. Yeah. When when things have just fallen apart. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and their jobs where they had a job and were so grateful and thankful for it and it was just wonderful and then the whole operation just closes down without notice you know and, and or a child dies or uh, all all of these things so yeah yeah i i suppose dallas's death would have been my biggest challenge mm. there but we yeah. had had the death of twins before but i i didn't think in those terms then you know but yeah yeah hmm Another thing about Dallas's gifts, or just in collecting those, he was very musically gifted, hmm. and and his brother would have been a professional singer, I suppose. He he did opera and all of that sort of thing. And, this is Dwayne, I assume. Uh huh. Yeah. And Dallas could have done that with his voice, but hmm. the more he started to speak and preach. The less he started to sing, you know, but but he yeah. sang hymns. He hummed hymns and sang hymns all the time. Yeah, yeah. He says too that he grew up and his family hummed and sang hymns, um, just working around the house and working on the farm. And he says he he heard that from from them. Very musical family. Okay. Okay. Um. I have something else, which I, I'm sure you're going to recognize. Um, this is uh, Prayer Can Change Your Life by William Parker. I'll show the people watching as well. Um, could you tell me a little bit about this book and how it came into your life? 
well, so this this is not focusing on Dallas now, then? Because... Well, we're going to, I would like to know, um, maybe I'll tell you where I'm going with that, but um, you've had quite a, I don't know, career is probably the wrong word, Kareen, or just you've, you've prayed with a lot of people. And, um, and I know that this was, this, there was little courses associated with this book. And um, a long time ago, it was, uh, I guess, a, a sort of starting place for some of your prayer ministry or prayer work that you've done. Um, okay. Um, and actually, Dallas was involved with that. He, um, I was sort of in a midlife crisis already, and um, and Dallas saw in the newspaper uh, an advertisement for a meeting uh, based on that book that was mm -hmm. at a Lutheran church very near us, led by who came to be our great friend, uh, Bill Voswick. And Voswick, um, yeah. so I went to that class as the drowning person to a life raft, I think I'd mm -hmm. say. Yeah. And it was just very helpful for me. So that was sort of an introduction to looking inward and finding out things and, and taking assessments, personality inventories and things that you say about yourself and then it comes back, well that means such and such or that indicates that you like this or that you don't like this or that you mm -hmm. are good at this or whatever. So that was kind of the beginning for that for me. And and in that group, um, I learned the um, meditation exercise mm -hmm. that Bill Voswick led us in and that was part of part of the classes designed around that book that were based on prayer and imagery yeah. and we would do a relaxation exercise and then do a guided imagery of, of being in his presence yeah. and, and much of that um, that, that's been written up I don't know how much time we have left or how much detail you want well we're we're good. I just I want to start talking a bit more about prayer, um, especially in light of to bring it a little bit back to Dallas here in this book, um, in light of what he's mentioning here at the end of the chapter on um, other kingdoms and um, yeah, the parts of our lives which aren't yet submitted to God, as well as dealing with other people and dealing with kingdoms of darkness that are kind of all opposed to what God is doing. But that's, that's, I guess, where we're going. And, uh, oh. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the divine conspiracy is, is more of the information book and then, mm. um, renovation gives a bit more of the how-to's yeah okay so, so that the chapters in renovation on the mind and the, the thought and the feeling and all of that so right and dallas has a chapter on the ruined soul mm -hmm. which is necessary for us to know about 
in order to know why we need to be saved. Yeah. Or how bad things are. But also in that he alludes to the fact that not everybody starts out at zero. Yeah. Uh, or neutral. And so some of us have to go back and do other kinds of work. And, uh, yeah. Uh, in, in doing therapy, we found people with repressed memories of, of abuse and trauma and often mixed in with the church where it was done by pastors or done, mm. done by uh, pillars of the church. And so I, I was such an innocent person, you know, so uh, I had, had been aware of this before coming into therapy, but not, not the extent of it. And we, we all, Dallas and I both had read and we knew Agnes Sanford and uh, some of the inner healing prayer work that she did. But Dallas was certainly aware of all of that when he was writing about other kingdoms. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was very aware of the work that I was doing at Shepherd's House when, when I would have some 10-hour days and and many of those would be uh, inner healing prayer, and I would get so excited. Um, this this was just like gold and treasure to me. The things that God would do when we would go back into a hurtful part of the person's life, and and see what God did there, and see that. So I I don't have to try to convince the person. You know that okay, God is going to do this, or God will do this, because they saw it happening when we opened it up and invited Christ in there, and I was with them, so it wasn't so frightening to go back into. But uh, that that would be uh, the the treasures that excited me. So I would come after a ten-hour day and just kind of fly over the threshold here at night and and couldn't wait to meet with Alice going out for breakfast in the morning and taking my tape recorder so that I could uh, record as I was telling him what happened. Okay. I, I had permission, you know, from the people to share this with them. But uh, so we would, we would both be rejoicing in that, but he was, he was getting knowledge of what was going on uh, in the depths of people's heart too. So yeah, that was a part of his input and a part of his experiencing the depths. Yeah. So that is mentioned uh, many times. But um, uh, as I as I mentioned to you, there are more things we learned about the kingdom of darkness than your listeners are probably ready for. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, this it this was very real, and then when. And Agnes Sanford wrote very well on it that uh, then when the memories are still there, but when they don't hold the terror that they did before, so they can be integrated with the rest of you. Yeah. Not that they they live in pockets all to themselves with all of the... It, it's like it... It's like there's no doorway between the you that you are now living in the kingdom 
and what happened in that memory. Hmm. You, you don't have the people that you have now around you that care about you or that you've hmm. developed. You don't have the habits that you've developed now. It's hmm. all pocketed away, isolated. Hmm. And when there is the memory healing, it's as though it makes a doorway for you to pull that part of you back into who you are and yeah. who you have come and where God is reigning. Yeah. And then you pray for the spirit to fill that whole area and to live and reign there. You know, so it's adding that into your kingdom that you have you are trying on a daily basis to yeah. training on a daily basis to turn over to God's kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I just gave you a whole bunch of stuff that I hope you can clean it up. And <laughs> Well, I, I hope we can use as much as possible and just, just to help people connect it back to what Dallas is talking about um, here in this section. This is for me in this section on other kingdoms reign uh, remain he talks of the interior castle of the human soul as Teresa of Avila called it has many rooms and they are and they are slowly occupied by God allowing us time and room to grow that is a crucial aspect of the conspiracy but even this does not detract from the reality of the kingdom among us nor does it destroy the choice that all have to accept it and bring their life increasingly into it. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, then that's that's what you're that's what you've done with so many people and helped them with, right? Yeah. And and the same thing with uh, unless you would like to end there, what what you can, um, uh, un, un, and then um, in the renovation of the heart in uh, chapter six, I think on the the mind mm -hmm. uh, that um, th that's my favorite chapter and my favorite sentence is it's the single most important thing in a person's mind yeah is is their thought of yeah about God our idea of God and its associated images you know yeah uh, and, and then that quote that Dallas gives from Tozer about somewhere underneath what we think we believe about God, or yeah. what we choose to believe about God, lies our real belief. There's yeah. trouble, and we have to intentionally look for that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is a very important distinction that Dallas was making about what we, our knowledge of, God and then our and then our beliefs about God and he didn't think we always had a good grasp on what we really did believe about God and he thought that ministers as people trying to help people should try to help people get down to that level of what do I really believe about about God um, but then then comes the tricky part at least for the minister and perhaps for the individual as well, that once you sort of realize, okay, the people in my congregation believe this and that wrongly about God, how 
beliefs don't just get moved by reading a book or by being going through an alpha course or any kind of course. Beliefs are a lot more stubborn than just your your ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't I don't have a, a a good answer to how you really help people change their beliefs. <laughs> Do you have some uh, wisdom there? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's fine. Well, one thing I wanted to maybe uh, ask you about finally was um do you, you... know mike mike excuse me but yeah um uh, in answer to that i in uh, lexio 365 this morning oh. uh the one that i was listening to this morning it was about uh, the the kingdom of god uh, being as a a seed that the farmer goes out to sow the seed and mm-hmm. uh it springs up and he knows not how. Yeah. And so I think it's, I, I think we don't know how hmm. to do hmm. that or how that happens. No, it's just we do what we do and, and words come out and experiences happen and, hmm. and then knowing not how, it yeah. changes. So. Do you know, I hope you know this, Dallas loved that portion of that parable that the farmer does not know how the plants grow. And that helped him years ago in the 60s when he was preaching, um, starting to preach on the kingdom of God. And he watched things change. And he didn't know (laughs) what was happening other than the fact that he was talking about the kingdom of God. Hmm. And that, that parable really was helpful for him. Yes. Well, and about parables, that's the, the project we're taking on next as a, as a family. Okay. He did, he did a series on the parables long, long ago before yeah. anybody knew Dallas Willard. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it has always been one of my favorites, but he never did preach that series again. Yeah. And, and he, he knew so many other things, but people kept asking him to come and teach about the discipline. And yeah. that's why all the emphasis has been on the disciplines and not going other directions with things. Yeah. It wasn't that he didn't know or didn't think it was important. It's, yeah. He careened as yeah. by his experience and what people ask him to do, that's what he did for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the question I wanted to end with is um thinking about people listening to this and who um would like know that there are areas of their life that Jesus hasn't yet touched. Um, or, you know, as you say, maybe rooms that that there's they can't even open, even though they are in the presence of 
good people and Jesus. Um, but a lot of those people don't have access to a person like you who can, who knows how to pray with people and that. Um, in fact, they made, yeah, they don't even know how they would find somebody like that. Um, so what should a person in that situation, what, what are some things that they maybe can do to, to help find wholeness, to find, to bring Jesus into these parts of their life that are locked off? That is the prevailing question about the need and how to, how to meet the need. And I don't have a quick answer. The, the thing that's coming to my mind now is one of the first times I experienced this for myself. And uh, I had been reading Agnes Sanford's book about um, inner healing and about inviting Christ just as an individual. So, so just by myself, I prayed for uh, the Lord to uh, come in and help me with something. I was probably um, upset with Dallas about something. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it was something that happened a long time ago, but uh, I had this gunny sack of uh, just putting everything in in a in a just carrying it around with me so that when something similar happened, it wasn't like I was dealing with this one thing that happened. It was the whole injustice collection. Mm -hmm that got dumped out to be dealt with. So I was praying about one of those things and an incident that happened shortly after we were married. And uh, when, when I prayed, uh, I expected the Lord to come and be present to me, you know, as a, the wounded wife, uh, uh, which I was perceiving that I was, though it, it, it had nothing to do with me. I just was slighted in some way, you know. Uh, and... I saw him going to Dallas also, it, it just just in those images, hmm. and and that brought um, brought understanding and it brought um, forgiveness and that that God loved Dallas too, and um, the omnipresent Christ, you know, being present to me and present to Dallas and. So it was a gift of forgiveness that I had for something that I carried around for probably it was about 16 years at that time. That thing hmm. had continued to bother me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a very small one. For the other more serious things, I would say you would need to have a prayer partner or somebody who could, who could be there to remind you of who you are now. Hmm. And and. And it, picturing other people as that memory comes back to you to be inviting Jesus and the other people that you know would be accepting of that. Um, I, I think it would almost be impossible to do it alone when you have a memory uh, that might be as serious as, as the one I gave you. But yeah. I do it with spiritual direction now that when we do it on Zoom because mm. it be something that's so simple and we pray and it it can change the framing it can change the understanding it can 
something becomes very different when you see Jesus there on your side instead of seeing that you are the the one who who is filled with shame and and to blame and that you are guilty and uh, and it just switches you know in a moment so I I think to there's there's some things you can do by yourself even with inviting Christ to come in and show you what what, Hmm. when you're upset about something now invite the Holy Spirit to walk back through time and see if there's something that um, is connected to this that he wants to come in and heal or uh, open up to the kingdom of God yeah Uh, and the other would be to have a prayer partner there with you. So. Yeah. Well, sorry, it's not simple. <laughs> no, no, and and uh, yeah, I don't think it needs to be, um, but um, I think that will be helpful um, for people. Um, thank you for being with me and talking with me. Um, and for sharing some of your life and a little bit of the background of this book and how you've understood some of the concepts and um, wish you very best here for your years and may you continue to be a blessing to people, Jane. So I'm going to... You're a very gifted interviewer, and uh, you know that I don't, I don't do this sort of thing. So yeah. um, I'm counting on you not to put out anything that would, <laughs> would discredit all of us. So. You got it. Uh, hang on, and I will say goodbye to the folks listening here. Thanks for um, showing up and being here all the way to the end. Uh, thanks for um, listening, and you can. Again, I say this all the time, but you can go over to Sanctus.Institute and sign up for our almost monthly newsletter. If you've listened to an hour of us talking here, then um, you're rather interested. And especially if you're in Europe, um, we'd really like to reach out and um, just have contact with anybody who's interested in these sorts of topics, interested in Dallas Willard, but uh, also the sort of things that Dallas talks about. So I will see you next time, and uh, take care. I just lost my, my earpiece. Bye. We've wasted an hour. Well, be sure to cut it down.